How's it, brother Kyle? Cliff here, calling to let you know that I'm really appreciating the guests that you're having on the show. I just finished listening to the episode with Corey Jones, and I'm really inspired by the conversation you guys had about activating your community, not only as an environmentalist, but also as an athlete. I'm currently on an island in the middle of the Pacific, hoping to prepare for some scientific research with the upcoming swell. I'm sure you're preparing for it too. Thanks again, bro. Can't wait for the next episode. Aloha. Thank you for sending that in, Cliff. For those of you who don't know, Cliff Capono is one of the smartest professional surfers in the world. And he is a magician in the tube. Very, uh, very easy on the eyes to watch surf. He was also a guest on this podcast back in episode 60, which I will link to in the show notes below. So thank you for sending that in, Cliff. And if any of you want to send me a little piece of audio, you can do that by recording it on your phone using the Voice Memos app and email it to info at kyle.surf, which is also in the show notes below. How you doing, everyone? Happy New Year. I uh, hope that you are all easing into it slowly and still spending a lot of time in the water. Today is my birthday, January 9th, so happy birthday to me. I could think of no better way to spend my special day than upload a new podcast, um, because it's one of my favorite things to do in the whole wide world, and I appreciate all of you who help make it possible. I want to thank Haley Myers, Zach Johnson, and Morton Tondell for donating to this podcast on Patreon. If you can spare a few bucks a month, even just the equivalent of buying me a cup of coffee, uh, you can click the link in the show notes below or head to my website, kyle.surf, to do it. I appreciate all of you. If you can't donate, don't worry about it. One thing that is very helpful, though, is for those of you who leave ratings on iTunes, it helps boost the visibility of this podcast, and it helps me get bigger and better guests. So it's helping me, and it's helping you. Oh, whoa. I, so I broke my arm the other day. Uh, I was learning how to kite surf, and it turns out that the wind is a powerful element. If it's powerful enough to run cities, it is powerful enough to break an arm. Uh, I won't go too into the details, but let's just say I got thrown about 30 feet across a beach and shattered my radius and ulna, which sucks, but... um, it was also an experience that I felt, you know, there are experiences that are like, oh, that was a fluke. How did that happen? And then there are experiences that feel like, whoa, that was a, that was a close one. That was, that was a little too close for comfort. Um, and I feel like this one was closer to the latter. So I uh, shattered my radius and ulna. I was down in Costa Rica on a family trip and um, going for surgery day after tomorrow and i will be back before you know it i did want to say that um i have been meditating a lot over the past two months i downloaded an app that i highly recommend called waking up with sam harris um 10 minutes every morning and it helps me deal with the pain of a broken arm so well um that shit works there's one thing that Sam Harris um, talked about in one of his lessons that that really stuck with me through this experience of having a, a broken arm and driving to a hospital and having it be a while. It's just a long, painful day. And the 
the lesson is this. There's really no such thing as unbearable pain. Because when you injure yourself, you have already borne that pain. So what's unbearable is the fear of future pain. It's the fear of how long this pain will last. But by the very experience of being here right now, you have borne that pain. So you can sit with that. And that just that stuck with me um, through this whole experience. And being able to breathe through it, being able to bore deeper into what it really was, not make the not just not make it bigger than what it was. Um, it really helped and it felt like my meditation was paying off. So if any of you are looking for a good app, I highly recommend waking up with Sam Harris. Um, they don't sponsor this podcast, but um, I just think that it's good. I want to let you all know about it. I'm going to keep this fairly quick, but I do want to send a huge thank you out to Mudwater for sponsoring this podcast. Mudwater is a company that makes mushroom chai. There's reishi, cacao, chaga, lion's mane. I drink it every single day. It's helping to wean me off of coffee. Sometimes when I'm feeling a little sneaky, I'll put it in my coffee and it tastes great. And, um, I just love the company. It was started by one of my best friends, Shane Heath, um, and he, you know, he he's just pretty single handedly grown this company, and I'm uh, honored to be a part of it. Shane was one of the original guys that helped me start this podcast. Um, he did all the art for it. He was the art director also for the Motherfucker Awards. Um, for those of you who don't know about that, go to the MotherfuckerAwards.com. Those videos will be out next week. Um, and they're just an awesome company. So you can click the link below if you want to check out Mudwater. Um, I drink it every day and it's great. I also want to send a big thank you out to Santa Cruz Medicinals specifically because I've been using their CBD vape pen pretty much all day, every day since I broke my arm. So it was a very, uh, I don't know if you want to say fortuitous timing that we brought them on the podcast for me to shatter my arm. But if you are looking for some great products that help with inflammation, um, and pain, I highly recommend Santa Cruz medicinals. Um, the products don't get you high, but, um, the benefits of CBD are really astounding. They make, uh, vape pens, they make, um, CBD coconut oil that I cook with and put in my mud water. Those two products go together great, as well as CBD olive oil, which I put in my salads. So you can go to Santa Cruz Medicinals, scmedicinals.com, or click the link below to check out all of the good work that they're doing. My guest today is Matt Myers. Matt Myers is one of my best friends. Um, I've known him since I was... 14 years old. He was a few years older than me and one of the main guys that uh, helped me as I was trying to become a pro surfer. He would take me uh, to shoot photos with with him and various photographers. He is just a, a really great guy. And he's now the um, Rip Curl team and events manager in North America, as well as uh, an announcer. He announces various WQS contests, and he knows more about surfing than anyone I know. Um, so I figured it'd be fun to bring him on the show, and we could talk about um, all things from 
pro surfing and navigating that world to uh, the WSL and what to expect for this next year. We talk a lot about Gabriel Medina. As we do, our conversation was wide ranging and uh, I just love the guy. So please welcome to the show my good friend, Matt Myers. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Matt Myers. KT, Kyle Tierman. You know what I like about you, man? What's up, doggy? So I've been thinking about uh, like this idea of determination and grit versus subtle adjustment. And I've known you since we were in high school, and you grew up um, with the dream of being a pro surfer. You achieved that goal. You and I would go around, we'd take photos and close out barrels all the time in your big red van. Oh yeah. Um, and you worked really hard to be a pro surfer. Thank you. And you then realized what that ceiling was going to be for yourself. You realized that you, there was a point where you, uh, it was this kind of crossroads of, you know, do I want to stick with this? Because, you know, I have this dream of being able to travel the world and, and be with these people. And you, you've always been attracted to um, the, the competition. Like you right. are a black belt in just understanding what a surf competition is. Um, but I think it would have been a real struggle for you if you would have stuck stayed that path and like just determined grit I'm going to be a pro surfer and there was a moment when you chose subtle readjustment which was to shift your role and be a team manager and now you get to travel the world be around the best pro surfers in the world use your strengths to manage younger kids who want to be pro surfers um and it's kind of like you've achieved your dream, but through a way that you didn't expect. Totally. Well, thank you very much for all that. And uh, pretty spot on that description. And I, it feels really nice to hear that. Um, yeah, b- being a pro server was, was the dream growing up in Santa Cruz. You know, we had all those idols we looked up to in the magazines and the movies. And um, just being one of them was the dream. You know, the Fleas, the Barneys, the Rapways had our rooms covered in posters on the walls. And, uh, all of a sudden, one day, you start getting a paycheck. Literally, a paycheck came in the mail once a month. And I was like, wow, this is badass. Yeah. I'm a pro surfer, baby. <laughs> Woo! But, uh, you know, over time, um, you know, I didn't do the best in the competitions. Made some heats here and there and got to go on trips and travel the world for free under your sponsor's budget and see some countries I'd never, you know, ever expected to see. Um, realized, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be Kelly Slater. It's not, that's not happening. So uh, it was almost... Uh, a blessing in disguise when some of my sponsors started dropping me because I lost that paycheck and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do to adjust? And during that time I had really strong support from my parents who let me still live at home through the early twenties. And, um, the rule was I just had to be taking college courses. So starting at age, I took a year off after high school to travel, but then 
when I was 19, started taking classes at Cabrillo College, the local community college. And as long as I was taking classes and building towards a degree, my parents let me stay at home. And it really benefited me to, um, you know, learn and uh, become a better person. And in the summer times, I became a, a lifeguard instructor, junior lifeguard instructor at Capitola. So yeah. I started working out with working with kids then. And that's really, really fell in love with uh, tutoring and mentoring young young people and uh, be, trying to help them grow as Right, uh, whether they're an athlete or whatnot, yeah, so. I um, and I remember when you got that call from Dylan Slater at Rip Curl, yep, to um, try out for the job of being a team manager, and one of the best things that you had on your resume was that you had been running uh, the core surf competition right. for the last few years prior. So it's interesting that one of these skills that you had developed that you probably in no way saw as a feather in your cap that was going to get you this job ended up being that, right? right? So if you would have only focused on on surfing and getting photos and things that you saw in that like in line in your goal, you maybe never would have gotten that job. But because you had this these kind of extracurricular life experiences, exactly. it made you more valuable to that company. Totally. I feel like every little past experience I had all came together at the right time when I was 25 to become, you know, the team and promotions manager for Rip Curl in North America. And, uh, you know, Kim Clary at the core, which is a youth group that really just was trying to, you know, Pleasure Point was kind of a, a shady place growing up somewhere where after high school, I was scared to skateboard down certain streets, um, depending on what was in your pockets, especially if you had 20 bucks lunch money, that was going to get snatched up by one of the boys. And that's dead serious. Like, uh, it was called, uh, was it Grom tax, Grom tax or bunny ears. It was bunny ears, bunny, bunny ears, Grom, bunny yeah. ears, Grom. They take the, whatever you had in your pocket. And, uh, oh, yeah. I was sponsored by Arnett sunglasses in high school. And I remember that some of the boys would just come up and be like, Oh, did you get those from your sponsor? I'm like, yeah, I did. I'm stoked. They're like, Oh, thanks. They're mine now. Grom tax. So, oh yeah. I so. remember after <laughs> Volcom contests, Volcom used to give out the best prize packages in the totally crustaceous tour. Oh yeah. And, uh, you make the final, you get your package, and then you run to your mom's car oh, yeah. to Check put those there. socks in oh, there, yeah. put those all the, the new traction pads in there because those things were going to get snatched up. Totally. So, Which, so in the, retrospect, yeah. fuck that bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but. it's different nowadays. There's there's no Grom taxes. I don't think there's much bunny ears going down right now. No. But so at the time, um, Kim Clary started the core and gave me an opportunity just to work in a you know, an organized environment where I was putting on surf contests and I was the contest director every year. I was getting sponsorships. I was putting the heats together and I was kind of the guy people are going to with questions like, how do we run a surf contest? And luckily for me, I was obsessed with surfing, obsessed with surf competition. And, uh, that was just my path to the future. And right. between that, um, getting my associate's degree eventually there at Cabrillo and, uh, those seven years of, of being a quote unquote local pro surfer, you know, Definitely wasn't right. the big paycheck, but between all that, it just led to that next kind of career step. Right. Did it feel like you were giving up when you made that decision? It, it did for a few moments there. Um, it was a tough pill to swallow being like, okay, so I'm, you're basically, you're taking the ego away. I'm not the guy anymore. It's not about me. It's about these, these surfers who I'm supporting now. So luckily, Dylan understood that as he kind of had the same transition. Dylan Slater. Who is Dylan? Dylan Slater, who's now the president of Rip Curl USA, uh, someone who I really admire and look up to. He was also going to be a budding pro surfer when he was younger, but he took the college route, 
straight out of high school and um, hired me and he's been there 12 years and at 36 years old he's now the president of the company which is huge so someone I deeply respect did you ever see the viral YouTube video about it's, it's a camera um, of a guy videoing uh, so th- there's a guy on a hill and he's dancing at a festival and he's just like kind of going crazy and he's the only person dancing. And then there's another guy after a couple minutes and he yes. goes, and he starts dancing yes. next to him. Yes. And then three, four, five, six people start dancing. And in the matter of this 10 minute YouTube video, he gets a thousand people to start dancing on this hill. And there was a TED talk about that video. And the main point of the talk is that the, the power wasn't in the initial guy dancing. It was in the first follower. It was in that first guy that got up and joined him, which created the group. Without that first follower, that guy would just be a crazy hippie out dancing. And I think that what you have done and recognizing that you're not the star of the show, but you have the the skill set and the power to be a part of something bigger, which can actually... Um, turn into something great. Like I, I, how am I, how can I say this? Well, like pro surfers want to be the star of the show, but without any support, exactly. They're nothing. Right. Right. You, you see the guys on tour that are successful and they have support crews, right? It's very rare for a guy to, you know, to not have a manager or a coach or his family members or a spouse on tour through the grind being successful. It's those around them that have a comfort level on the road with them that you really see succeeding. Right. And I think that you have a great skill set in supporting those pros and genuinely caring and, and, and helping them get to the podium. And when they do, like you really are on the podium with them in a real way. You know, the media maybe doesn't see it. The fans don't see it. But that core group of people, they all see it. And, and that's really all that matters is that your peers understand that. Right. Yeah. And it's I think it's it's strange. I think a lot of people miss out because it's so especially in the social media age, we all want to be the stars of our own movie. Right. But we miss out a lot of times like you were telling me that uh, just seeing someone like, you know, Gabriel Medina, who just won a second world title. That dude's he's like got a NASCAR support crew around him and they're helping to change his tires, change the oil, make sure everything's dialed so that he can do what he does best. Exactly. And that's surfing. Right. And and he's, and he's the best in the world right now. Hands down. No one else could touch Gabriel Medina. He's absolute beast mode. He's a freak. And, uh, it's just been so cool to be in his corner the last seven years. I met him when he was 17 years old. Uh, again, my boss at Rip Curl said, Hey, uh, you know, Gabriel, he, he's coming to the U.S. this year, and there's just this one awkward thing, and this is kind of a tough task, but um, we're going to give you a job, and your job is to have him fall in love with speaking English and being in California. Because as a Brazilian, being 17-year-old, um, you know, this phenom, he, he doesn't like his past experiences here, but we're going to challenge you to have him fall in love with this place. So he came and stayed on my couch for three weeks, and in that time, we were, we were hanging out, um, working on his English, playing pool, playing basketball, surfing in front of my house down in Newport Beach. And uh, we really connected, and it was great. And uh, later on that same trip, he went down to uh, Lower Trestles when it was the Nike 6.0 event, and he, he had the best event like in WS- AS- it was ASP at the time, ASP history. He comboed like everyone, the whole event. Was yeah. that the year that he was going left and doing massive errors massive on every errors. wave? Every wave. And he beat... 
Glenn Hall in the, yeah, in the Glenn, final. Nice, Kyle. Not bad, right? Yeah. yeah. And Dan, Dan Reynolds was either the semis or the quarters. Yep. Actually, Gabriel and I last week in Hawaii actually mentioned that because like we were hugging it out after he won the second title. I'm like, dude, think about when we first met and how far you've came. And uh, 2014 world champion, the first Brazilian world champion ever, and now. Uh, he turned 25 yesterday. Happy birthday, Gabriel. But he's a two-time world champ at the age of 25. And uh, he's just getting started. So uh, I'm hoping John John gets ready because it's going to be a good show the next few years. Right. So... Um, wow, what a what a cool thing to be a part of to be able to see that growth. I mean, did you like you are around a lot of budding pro surfers and as we both know there are a lot of factors that go into someone being successful long term. Some of the best young guys stagnate and then there are people, you know, Dane Reynolds is an example who didn't start surfing until he was something like 12 years old, which is really late. Especially this day and age. This yeah. day and age. Yeah. And then just had that obsessive component where he got really good and he fell in love with it. Um, what do you think are some of those components that you've seen? Um, you know, what did you see in Gabriel? What do you see in, in a lot of those guys that have kind of gone on this like exponential growth curve? Right. Well, Gabriel is just a, a natural freak. So he just has a, a deep skill set and just a hunger. He can't, he can't get knocked down. So I think it's the guys that really do have that deep, deep hunger that this is their life and this is their livelihood. And no matter what they do, they're, they're going to be a champion surfer. And like, they don't let anything distract them. They don't let anything get in the way, whether it's the surf media or drama between surfers on the tour, they just put their head down and go for it. Um, and that doesn't work for everyone because there's only that certain amount of people that are going to be successful pro surfers. It's just the nature of the game is a lot of people aren't going to make it. So the way the surf industry has shifted since when we were kids is the really all the money has risen to the top and gone with the next future stars. The mid range pro surfer really doesn't exist anymore. There's not a lot of guys getting, you know, that $1,500, three grand a month check just to be your local pro anymore. That just doesn't exist because the companies realize the ones that are making the big, you know, marketing factors is getting the sales on their board shorts is the guys that are on that tour. And either you have that guy or you're going after that next little phenom, which it was Griffin Colapinto who just hit the big time this year, who's now one of my favorite surfers. And, He's amazing. And Billabong went all in on him young. And, and they're going to be rewarded by it. So Griffin, again, he's a, he's a freak. The kid charges hard. He's got the air game, and he's so damn competitive. So he's going to be the next California superstar. And it's been really fun for me to be along his side. You know, the last few years, although I didn't sponsor him, but he did all the events that I put on, the Rip Curl Grom Search. I sponsored his younger brother, Crosby Colapinto. So I'm really close to the family. But it's really proud you know, to have a Californian who we actually are going to have a chance probably to have a world title in the coming years. Really? You, know, you maybe, think so? I think so. Um, he's got style too. Dude. He just surfs sick. He's, he's, he doesn't surf in a way that you that feels manufactured. No, you can tell he has had. Um, you know, he has the the coaching and the competitive savvy, but he still surfs in a way where he owns every wave. It's raw. As, it's raw. X a, factor. And he's got that X factor. You don't know what he's going to do on the wave. That's my favorite thing about a surfer like Gabrielle. It's like you drop in, you're like, I. He's going to do a backflip. Yeah, he's going to put it on right. rail and just blow the fins out? Uh, who knows what he's going to do? And those are the kind of guys that are going to be in the game for a long time. Right. It's interesting what you said about all the money rising to the top. I did uh, I did an interview with a Rolling Stone journalist named Matt Taibbi who mm. covers uh, the banking collapse. And that's what's happening to America. 
Oh, wow. All the money is rising to the top. It's rising to the 1%. And these banks are, they have um, more and more sophisticated ways to take the money out of the lower and middle class and suck it up to the top. He has this great analogy. He says, uh, or he has this great sense. He says, the world's largest investment bank is a vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity, relentlessly jamming its blood funnel into our communities. What a line. It's not a fucking line. That's why he gets the ba- paid the big bucks as a writer. I don't think that the way that the surf community is structured is quite as nefarious <laughs> as Golden's, Goldman Sachs. I think that um, it's just recognizing where your board shorts are getting sold. Exactly. Right. And where the eyeballs are. Right. And the WSL World Tour is, you know, grab the surf industry by the balls. And if you're not on that tour, you better be a freakish big wave or aerialist or a free surfer because there's only a couple guys that aren't on the CT that are getting decent paychecks. Right. You know, in that, in that big ballpark where you're a pro athlete, like a pro surfer, there's not, not a lot of guys these days. Yeah. There's like pro surfer and then there's like pro surfer. Right. There's the guy that gets mobbed by fans when he goes on the beach. Right. And like through my travels, I was just down, um, I got, I was really fortunate, um, from Rip Curl to hire me as a, to direct this big photo shoot we did down in, um, a place that you're familiar with, Puerto Escondido and, uh, the Watuco area. And, uh, we went down there and, uh, I had, again, I had Gabriel, Connor Coffin, Matt Wilkinson and Owen Wright. So we had our four CT stars right after the surf ranch event. We went down there and we were down there for a 10 day photo shoot, just a product shoot. But everywhere we went, Gabriel was getting mobbed. We were going really? to breakfast at these little quiet restaurants and having just fans come up. We'd get up in the morning at our hotel and there's kids waiting outside for him to come out and, you know, go out to the car. So he has definitely found that global reach. And those are the guys that are, you know, making the product turn, not necessarily in our U S or maybe Australian market to the highest degree, but like Brazil's a big country and he's an absolute superstar down there. Right. Man, how strange because, you know, there are people who get famous who are actors where they really expect that if you're a successful actor, you're going to get famous. And that comes along with it, you know, entertainers. Whereas athletes, they're entertainers, but in a way that I don't think many of them really signed up for. Someone like Gabriel is just hyper competitive and he's a super freak. And then fame was a byproduct of that. Right. So and dealing with it, you know, like how these mm-hmm, people deal mm-hmm. with it is, it seems like in many ways the hardest aspects of their life one of the hardest aspects of their life. Yeah. And I don't know when, like, I, I don't know his personal life as well, maybe as I should, but, um, at some point in this fame, cause actually when he won the world title in 2014, I remember being up in his room at the rip curl house, which is a, which we can dive into in a bit, which is just this classic nine bedroom house on the North shore at right there at off the wall with full of pro surfers and photographers and team managers and girls and whatnot. It's, it's a blast. I just got back from three weeks spent over there on the North shore, which is just the all time fun considered work, which is a dream staring out at pipeline every morning. But I'm sitting there with Gabriel and he looks over at me and he just like biggest smile. I'm like, what? He's like, I just hit a million followers. He was so stoked. And, uh, fast forward four years. I think he today's at 6.6, 6.8 million followers, which is unbelievable. A lot of humans. It's a lot of people. And, um, I think he just had his birthday yesterday down in Brazil. Neymar flew in on a private helicopter for his birthday. <laughs> Neymar, the most famous athlete in the world, you know, and and they're best friends. So I don't know where in this whole stage of him becoming this pro server, he just got this super stardom of fame because like this video came out with Giselle Buchin wishing him Vi Medina for the world title and Pele Vi Medina world title. Like it's crazy. Wow. 
He's like the LeBron James, you know, of Brazil. Yeah, and you gotta love it, I guess, if you're in it. Or it's just, it's crazy that you can still, that someone like Gabriel can still perform at that level with that amount of distraction. Right. But then when you see him, like I'm staying in the house with him, he is so cool, calm, and collected at all times. He, he never gets high, never gets low. He's just hanging at the house, playing video games, you know, hanging with his family and his very core group of friends. And he just is just a regular dude. Whereas, you know, out in the competition aspect, he does have that dark night persona kind of a la Andy Irons back in the day where he would, you know, he was a little dirty. He's going to get under your skin. He's not going to give an inch, man. He's going to shoulder you if he can. He's going to take the wave if he can, but that's leading to his his success. Yeah. Yeah, he's a winner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's interesting what you said earlier about um, Griffin Colapinto and Billabong mm-hmm. and that company investing in him. Um, what I gather you're saying about that is that Billabong will benefit more um, having sponsored Griffin for a long period of time. Exactly. Um, and that's something that I haven't really thought of very much um, in terms of how, you know, like, if you just come along and sponsor someone once they're already successful, it's not necessarily as valuable as if you've sponsored them since they were a junior. Right. Is and that what you were saying? Yeah, well, it's kind of like about the brand loyalty. Right. Which... We've gone back and forth with over the years because John John was sponsored by O'Neill from a very young age. And when he turned 18, he switched to Hurley. So that's a, you're like, you can't always back the brand loyalty thing. But for someone like Griffin, who got sponsored by Billabong again at age 10, and they just backed him hard the whole way through. And, you know, they probably overpaid him at certain ages, 14, 15, 16. He was getting a lot of money. And, uh, but when the time came for him to really hit the big time, become a global presence, Billabong had been backing him for all those years. And he's a family guy. Like he loves the people around him. And he's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. He didn't even, they didn't even take his contract to market. He, he signed a year early and just extended his career now onto the CT for an additional five years with Billabong. So big ups to them and to him for having that relationship and just staying true to each other. Right. Well, it shows also that it's not only, um, the dollar amount that's going to determine whether or not an athlete wants to stay with you. And a big part of your job, you know, as you said early on was, Hey, get Gabriel to fall in love with America. Like make, make the athlete feel like this is a family. This is, this is comfortable. This is a community that they can rely on. Rip curl is a company that you guys have the search trips, which are sick. Yeah. Like if I were looking for a sponsor and I thought, okay, well, what is Rip Curl going to offer? Like, damn, I'm going to get to go find new waves with Mick Fanning. Right. That's right. sick. Yeah. Like, that's super cool. I mean, I, I surf for Patagonia. And the fact that one of my best friends, Greg Long, rides for Patagonia and that we get to go on trips together. Right. It's like, that's, that's it. I, yeah. I don't, totally. I don't give a shit and, about anything else. Yeah. Just that, like, one of my best buddies rides for them and that we can go surf together. Right. I, and I'm obviously on like a complete in a completely different constellation than yeah, you're the guys you guys are talking about. But I think it's interesting to think about those other factors besides just the paycheck. Totally. Oh yeah. And then just on that subject, it's like obviously people think about rip curl and competition when you hear the name rip curl, but the search and searching for new waves and discovering undisclosed locations all around the world is really what started the company. Like our two founders, uh, Doug Warbeck, Claw, and Brian Singer, they started Rip Curl because of the search because they were just surfers who wanted to get on the road and sell surf products, quality products, and discover new spots. So over the years when they got Tom Kern on the team in the early 90s, that really took off and the search became really the platform for Rip Curl to show off who, who we really are. And 
it's been just a blessing to uh, be a part of that culture. And now seeing Mick Fanning and Mason Ho, who are like literally my two favorite servers, two guys I get to work with right. and call friends. Oh, I can attest to that. You had all of the Mick Fanning posters oh, yeah. on your Mick wall. Mick was like my hero, my yeah. idol. And now I'm high-fiving him and cracking jokes and talking shit on the daily. So it's just like, pinch me. How does this all work out? It's yeah. pretty classic. And then luckily in my job, like I pushed hard for Mason for a few couple, a couple of years and he still was under contract with loss. But when the time came, uh, met with the bosses and I was like, Hey, Mason Ho is going to be our guy to trust me. I was going to make this happen. And, uh, they sent me out to Hawaii. I met with him. We hit it off. There was tons of connections there. We signed him up and now, you know, he's the face of the search and it's nothing but good times and fun with Mason. So, um, that's going to be an entertaining duo for many years to come. The Batman and Robin of surfing is Mason Ho and Mick Fanning. Yeah. Well, now Mick gets to go on those kinds of trips. Yeah, exactly. And you had him on the podcast too, which probably was a good time. That was uh, thanks to you, man. I think that's episode 68. Mick Fanning is a, um, a very good guy. Oh, yeah. He is someone who recognizes his platform and uses it very responsibly and he's someone who he's does his best. There's so much irony in surfing and so many people who are afraid to give it their all because they're afraid that if they do, they may fail. I think that that's a real, a real shame. And surfing's so carefree, this like, I don't give a fuck. It's just whatever. And you, you see people not fulfill their potential with that mindset. And I really respect the fact that Mick always gave it his all. People hated on him at a certain point. They Definitely. thought that he was too vanilla, that he, oh, he wasn't too manufactured. The judges loved him, they, all that shit talking those years. And then it came all the way back around where now he is solidified as one of the great, not just athletes, but representatives of the sport. Right. He, and and because people saw how he responded through those years of adversity. Totally. Everyone can think about that year that he lost his brother and got attacked by a shark and held it and together. And went through a divorce. Yeah. People don't even know that. Dude, all in one year. All in one year. And to see that mental fortitude and that composure and just grace. Like, he didn't know me. He did that podcast because you asked him to. And he was late. He was coming back from the surf ranch and he was incessantly texting me like, hey, man, I'm like running 20 minutes late. Really sorry. Like, hope it's cool. I'm like, dude, you're McFanning. Right. Chill out. I'm like, I'll, now you I'll be here. Yeah, you honestly couldn't have. I couldn't have said any better myself because like I look up to Mick in so many different ways. Well beyond his surfing. Although when I was a kid, I tried to imitate that cutback he did over and over again. That's all I wanted to do. But uh, just as a person getting to know him and um, what I've really learned from him is how to take a loss and that it's all a part of life and, and, and winning and losing. It really, it doesn't matter because when he had those, those days at pipeline with the title on the line and he ended up losing to, to Medina and Adriana for the world title that year, we were so upset. Like I, we put all this like marketing effort into it. I'm like, wait, how can I be this upset when the guy who actually just lost the title and came second is, is still smiling just because he's here on earth and he's being the best person that he can be. And, and we went out and had the biggest party we've ever had bigger than any world title win. When he got second that year, 2015, we absolutely raged. The rip curl of walls got torn down at the house and it's never been the same since. And, um, just what he's taught us through, through those losses and hardships and just, just understanding life and being a bigger person and just loving your friends and loving your family and just being a true, true to yourself and being a good person. Um, right. I, can just I really like what you just said about, 
I like what you just said about what he's taught us because when you are part of that pit crew, you know, when you're in his corner, you feel what he's feeling. And if you have an athlete that throws a tantrum at the end of losing, your pit crew is going to follow suit. Mm -hmm. And if you have an athlete who's that well composed, you really are... You know, you're like the the weather. You affect everyone around you. Wow, that's it's very very true. And yeah, and he and he took it right. And he said, "Congratulations, Adriano. I love you, brother. And you deserve this title. You yeah. beat me." There's a guy named Jordan Peterson. He's a really well known author and intellect. And he has this good line about how um, the goal is not to win he says life is not a game life is a series of games and the goal is not to just win one game the goal is to be someone who's fun to play with because if you're fun to play with you'll get invited back to the next game and you'll win some games you'll lose some games but the point is to be that person who gets invited back Mm -hmm. and Mick is someone who is getting invited back because you know again like if he was uh, as good as he is, but was shitty to be around. Right. I bet he wouldn't be getting paid as much as you get, as he is now. I bet he wouldn't be in the position that he is in now. Like it, beyond just surfing, from your perspective, you're going to sponsor people who are fun to be around. Exactly, and and he's and he's not only great in the water and like as a an idol, but like you get to hang out with him, and he's going to treat you like a brother. He's going to give you a hug. He'll kiss you on the cheek. He's just a real person and he's not scared to be weird around you. He's just relaxed and normal. And then you give him a couple beers and this alter ego named McMuffin, formerly, <laughs> formerly Eugene Fanning. <laughs> What's the difference between McMuffin and Eugene? Oh, there's a big difference. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a big difference. And, he, and I actually just recently hung out with McMuffin and McMuffin was uh, describing Eugene, which I didn't, I didn't know Eugene very well. <laughs> McMuffin was describing Eugene's a lot more mean than McMuffin. McMuffin's a little bit mean. <laughs> McMuffin's not the uh, Nick's not the meanest guy, but when McMuffin comes out, he'll pick on you. He'll pick on you and and he'll dig in. He'll point out a flaw of yours, but then afterwards he'll apologize and again he'll kiss you on the cheek and give you a hug and tell you he loves you. But uh, it is an alter ego and it's real. It's That's it's so it's, funny. it's not make believe. It's a thing. That's funny. And he man. makes the sound. He goes McMuffin. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear him roaring from like, uh, like very far away. <laughs> and when he's co- so the other night at the Rip Girl house, we're all sitting there watching a the movie. Like ten of us, we have this giant house. It's ever it's the whole team. Everyone's hanging out. We have the Groms. We have little Diego. Is fourteen. We have the Aussie kids, Xavier, little Ranga, little redhead. He's fifteen. And here comes McMuffin. Him and Corey Wilson decided to go out and party. And we knew that was going to happen because it's like Mick's not in the contest. He's literally there just for Parco because it's Parco's last event. You know, Parco's retirement's going down. And it was like middle of the event waiting period. Everyone was still in the contest. Medina's luckily like tucked away upstairs, but he definitely heard this all. Owen Wright's kid starts crying. Volley, this little two-year-old, the cutest kid in the world. But here comes McMuffin, just McMuffin. And like the people that knew this ran. So Owen ran. Uh, Glenn Hall stays at the house micro. He ran. Crosby barely got away, but about seven of us got pissed. 
pinned in the room and we're like, McMahon's like, it's meeting time, boys. We're having a team meeting. And we're like, what does this mean? He's just like, I'm tired of you guys. You guys don't talk enough. You guys don't, he was just like, starts yelling out of all of us and it doesn't make any sense. But uh, he was just doing it in love. He just really wanted us all to hang out more, but we were hanging out, which I don't really understand his point, but he just wanted us to be closer. That's really what he wanted. And uh, oh he starts God. picking on the redheaded kid from Australia. That's starts picking funny. on the Grom. Dude, he was hawking loogies on the floor during this situation. <laughs> like, I was like, everyone, we're like, dude, Mick, dude, why are you doing this? And luckily, Corey Wilson's literally the only person who can contain McMuffin. <laughs> what? Which is just crazy to say because Corey's like one of our best friends growing up from here. It's yeah. crazy this whole world of our lives and how we've intertwined and ended up in these different places. But. I love it, man. It's so fun. It gives me such joy to have you on the podcast and know that I would have you on this show even if you weren't my friend growing up and then to think that this podcast is sponsored by one of our best friends who now does mud water it's like hell yeah you just right. start a little crew and then Corey's out there who, being like, too successful being too successful <laughs> stop being so good looking yeah bastard yeah Jesus. women yeah. don't keep having sex with Corey Wilson it's yeah. not good for him <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go there um yeah, man. So as you are investing in these different athletes, what are the what advice would you give to younger uh, pros or you, people who are are coming up in that age? Like, wh- what are the biggest mistakes you see them make? What are the biggest um, what advice would you give to them? Right. Well, I guess it's different depending on what age and what place you're in your career. But just overall, I'd say do it because you love it is the key. Don't do anything that you don't like. And if if you're really passionate and absolutely love surfing, just surf your brains out. Our other friend, Nat Young, was successful because he surfed longer than us. Yep. You know what I mean? He would be out before us and he'd stay out after us and he made it to the world tour. Surf your brains out because you love it. And if you're not loving it, don't force it. Like, Don't let your parents run your dreams. I have so many kids whose parents are like, oh, Bobby did an air reverse today. Text. I'm like, I don't care, man. If Bobby wants to come, you know, meet up with me later and tell me about this great trick he did, I'll be stoked to hear it. But the parents that are overbearing and just living these dreams for the kids, no, thank you. No more of that. It's unnecessary. We want the kids to do it because they believe in themselves and they're following their passions and they're surfing so much that they're actually getting better than the rest of them. And that's going to lead them to success. Um, the kids that also deal with, deal with their sponsors on their own and build the relationships, those are the ones that are going to be successful. You can't be like hiding behind either a parent or a manager's blanket and just having them make the demands. Like let the kids speak for themselves and be their own persons and just, uh, you know, dedication, uh, contests again are not everything, especially when you're young as a team manager. I don't care if you're winning or losing as long as you're having a good time and you're improving and you're and you're learning every day and it, working to improve you're you're noticing you're watching video footage of yourself and you're like oh I can work on this and like actually applying that to your next session that's how you're going to succeed and uh, it's just about you know enjoying the ride and, and not having too much expectation is a key because if you start expecting all these great things to happen you're going to find yourself left in the dust right well you're going to constantly feel like you're a failure Exactly. Right. Yeah. If you if you set success as making the world tour, I, I mean, it's it's interesting to you know how do you balance setting a big goal and 
and you know choosing to lead a life that's as big as possible while still being able to enjoy the ride and be realistic like as you said you are not going to be the next Kelly Slater Matt Myers nope hate to break it to you man it's all right though yeah I like where I'm at right now right and that's the balance exactly right and how do you and this goes back to my initial point about readjustment you know what how do you how do you readjust how do you stay open to possibility Right. It's like trying to pick the perfect girl. If you're like, I want th- oh, this is going to be the girl. Right. This is these are going to be her qualities. These are going to be her hair co- uh, color. You know, this is the, what she's going to do for a living. And you're just waiting until she shows up in your life and you're missing all of these other amazing women because you're too myopic about what you chose. Putting the pussy on a pedestal. Don't want that. No, no. And to and, and just not staying open to the reality that life is ever changing and there will be, it will work out in a way that you don't think it will. Right. And that's, I think what goes back to what you're saying about love, like you love surfing and you love watching surf contests and breaking that shit down. I see you watch a heat and like you are in your element right. and you can break stuff down for me. Like you're, you're the most fun person to watch a surf contest with because you are, maybe I'm seeing 80% of what's going on. Someone who watches surf contests, you know, all the time is seeing a hundred percent of what's going on. You're seeing 130% of what's going on. Right. And you aren't now competing there. But dude, I mean, the, you you got there. Like you did it just in a more roundabout way. And I think that that's, you know, I've seen kids grow up who were, you know, they had a lot of, uh, of, of ability early on, but you could tell they got a little too into that, like the sponsor thing and the right. look yeah, thing yeah. and oh, what yeah. it, what it means, like, ooh, being a surfer is cool. That's going to get me all these other things. And then the second life throws them a curveball, they don't have the resilience to get back on that horse. I actually have a moment in my life where this all come to fruition. And I was uh, at one of those ASR trade shows that we used to go to down in San Diego. And remember when we used to try and get all our sponsorships, we'd make our resumes, our portfolios. We'd, I'd go to Kinko's and print out all my resumes. I'd burn the little CD disc promo tapes. And um, I'd been doing that for years. And I had some success with that, but not great success showing up there and trying to sell myself to these sponsors. But one year I you know, was walking around with my backpack full of promo tapes and you know, and I run into Chris Gallagher, one of the only few surfers from Santa Cruz to ever make the championship tour, who's now Jordy Smith's coach, very successful surfer and shaper. But Chris Gallagher looks at me, he's like, Myers, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get sponsors. He's like, bro, if the sponsor wants you, they're going to find you. And he's like, put that shit away, train your ass off and go surfing every day. And if you're really meant to get this sponsorship and make that money, it's going to happen. And I was like, it kind of hurt my feelings at the time because I had put a lot into that little portfolio, but he was so real and so true at the time. And it's something that I still think about, what, 13, 14 years later. Right. Wow. That's cool, man. That's really cool. And he was being as real as could be. And I respect the hell out of Galley. And I still do. And I get to see him on the tour and we high five. And last year at Bell's Beach, the contest got called off from like bells to winky or whatever. We pal out to winky pop, but it was like six to eight foot and we're pinching ourselves. We're out there by ourselves screaming right handers looking like J Bay. 
And it was just like, it was, again, it was just one of those moments. I'm like, this guy used to shape my boards for me when I was 13, 14 in Santa Cruz. He ended up moving to Hawaii, but it's just such a cool, just a part of life that I'm living right now with this job and the success I've had. And it's just, it's really, I'm really grateful for it. Right. How many of the top guys would you say have coaches like Galley? Uh, a, a fair amount. Yeah. And like coaching is for most, but you can't say it's for everyone. Like um, Medina doesn't have a coach, but his dad is kind of his coach. They bounce ideas off each other. But for the most part, you know, all the top guys, they do they do have coaches because and they might not be giving them all the instruction like, you know, because that surfer might be better than them. Right. But they're the one to bounce ideas off. Like, how did that board look to you? How did that turn look to you? Did you like it? This is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing in the lineup? So at that level, it's about having someone just bouncing the ideas back and forth on conditions and equipment is really what it comes down to. Huh. Who do you think uh, are going, what surfers do you think are going to blow our minds in 2019 on the tour? Well, we do have some new, some new youngsters. Uh, we already talked about Griffin, who was a rookie this year, but he, I think he's got a lot left in the How tank. How do you think, did he get rookie of the year? No, not even close. I mean, he started out hot, and um, I know I I was paying attention early yeah. on, and I and and that's what surf competitions are, man. Like it's up and down, and you can lose a lot of tight heats. He ended up finishing, I believe, eighteenth. Uh, only the top twenty-two requalified. So uh, Wade Wade Carmichael actually got rookie there. Who oh went, right, he made, he made two finals. He got two runner-ups. A J Bay, right? Was J Bay? J Bay and Brazil. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is pretty very, rad. Yeah, very different waves. Yeah, but Brazil this year was absolutely bombing. It was like slab barrels, like looked like backdoor. Was, whatever wave that is, it was insane. Wow. Go back and watch that shit. It was, it was really cool. Um, for next year, though, um, someone to look out for is Seth Muniz. Seth Muniz uh, from great Hawaii lineage. Uh, dad, Tony Muniz, is one of the original pros from Hawaii, old school. And Seth is going to blow you away with his aerial game and his, his tube riding. Um, we'll see how he shakes it up with those guys. He's a pretty small dude. So it's interesting to see when you transition for the QS to the CT and you're not like a big guy. Like he's probably like, I actually don't know this for sure, but he's probably like five, eight, you know, Wade so Carmichael's big guy, right? He's stocky. Yeah. And he's got full power. So he, he brought that rail game and being able to have, you know, the complete package is the only way you're going to succeed these days on the tour. You need You need to have it all. Um, you think you need to have it all or do you think you just need to have really good consistent rail game? Well, just overall, to be Maybe success, not to, to successful, to stay on tour, you just need to have a quality game in all types of conditions. Because if you're only good when it's the waves are tubing, you're not going to be able to keep up in the other situations. Yeah, it's not always tubing. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, Ryan Callanan, it's his second time around on the tour. He'll be really interesting to watch because he was one of the most informed servers of the back half of this year. He won a big QS, got into the CT in France and got a runner-up finish, got second there. Uh, did well in Portugal, um, and he wasn't even on the tour. They, it was the thing where they kind of start giving you wild cards when you're being successful. Came out to Hawaii, won the trials of the Pipe Masters, and they made a dent in that event as well as making a few rounds. So Ryan Callanan, someone to look out for next year. And um, something that I'm really proud of shifting over to the, the women's side of the draw is uh, Brisa Hennessy is a young surfer who I sponsored from the age of 12 who just qualified for the CT this year and is the first surfer that I personally was able to like have a hand in their sponsorship and their career from literally the beginning to their success making it onto the tour. Was she in the Honolulu 
uh, contest this year? She wasn't in it this year. She had been in it the previous two years. She won the trials last year and actually beat um, Sally Fitzgibbons last year in 2017 when Sally was going for the world title. She beat Sally in round, it was round two or round three to knock her out of title contention. It was just kind of to show what kind of a surfer Brisa Hennessy is. And it's just, that's like one of those ones where I'm sitting here smiling, patting myself on the back, being like, I saw this girl in Huntington. Her mom kind of introduced herself to me and I was like, wow, there is something special with you. Met the girl. She was absolutely charming, just an absolute sweetheart. And I saw her surf and I was like, she does have, she has something special. She's got that, that X factor. And, um, do you think that's the X factor you're talking about that speaks to like, you're saying, uh, you don't know what she's going to do on a wave. Yeah, but on the women's side, it's a bit different. They, they they don't have quite the spontaneity, like as far as doing crazy airs and whatnot. But she just had the technique and the power and just the raw just skill. You just saw the skill and the way they approach the wave. That's what I'm looking. I'm looking at your style and how you approach the wave, how you square up, where you're hitting the lip, how you're falling through on your turns. That's what I'm looking at when I'm sponsoring a kid. Because I have kids who I sponsor. I'm like, okay, they, they're not even winning every event. But when I see them with a lot of flair, a lot of style, and the way they approach the wave, that's what I really want to see. When sponsoring a kid and, and Bree said her, her and I got to travel the world together we went to Bali took her over to Lakey Peak um, she ended up winning the Grom Search International event over there and then we spent a couple days over at Cobblestones right which I believe we surfed who knows what year that was yeah when we went to Lakey's back in the day but we just did air training and I was like I've been teaching her how to get above the lip and that's what she wanted to know from age 15 so she was always had big picture thinking uh, grew up in Costa Rica lived in Hawaii for many years and now she lives in Fiji on the island of Nomotu, which is Whoa. absolutely badass. So she's traveling out of there. She's actually representing Costa Rica as far as her region's considered because that's where she was born, which is going to be kind of her ticket to the to the Olympics, ideally. And uh, she's going to be a rookie next year on tour, something I'm super proud of. You're saying that you're looking at various aspects of um, young athletes surfing. How much would you... Um, how much would you condense that even into their bottom turn the bottom turn's huge man that's i mean that's a very specific question but if you can't bottom turn you're going nowhere you know uh my favorite surfers have great bottom turns my favorite surfers mick fanning uh julian wilson mason ho great bottoms too you know not usually looking at their ass too specifically but uh <laughs> the bottom turn is key <laughs> and that's a funny part of surfing right it's all good yeah, it's there aren't many uh, sports where you're looking at the athlete stick their ass out in your face right. for like the majority of the the, <laughs> the view on the wave. Right. Like like imagine if like in basketball it was like all just ass out hey, bent there's, down. There is a lot of ass in basketball too. I mean that's not usually what you're looking at, but every every sport you know that athletic position, whether right. it's golf. Baseball, football, basketball, soccer, every, so, surfing, tennis. Think about it. Every single one of those, your knees are bent, your hips are down. You got a, like a solid square stance, and yeah, that's where it comes from—the core. So, how many of these contests are you traveling to these days? Not a ton, because I'm again, I work for North America region of Rip Girl, so I'm mostly staying within the United States and uh, you know hitting the East Coast, West Coast, Hawaii. But this last year, I had quite a bit of travel. I, I go down to Bell's Beach for the Rip Curl Pro every year, which is an absolute blast. You'd love it there, Kyle. It's, it's really similar to Santa Cruz, Torquay, where Bell's I, Beach is. I went to Bell's when I was a grom. When okay. I was like 11, I went to Bell's and really enjoyed it, but haven't been to a 
back to Australia since and really want to. Yeah, Australia is amazing. Yeah. Love Australia. But anyway, Bells Beach, right hand point breaks, slabs, reefs, cold water, really similar to the ways we grew up surfing. Absolutely love that. Um, Rip Curl next year is turning 50, which is a big deal, 50 years old. And uh, something I didn't mention, which I think is pretty cool about Patagonia, is that the founder of the company still owns the company. Mm. Which uh, Is it still a privately owned company? Pri- still privately owned, 50 years later. It's great. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, it gives them a lot more power to do what they want and make decisions that... Uh, Aren't, aren't for the shareholders. Exactly. Right? That's the issue that we have in the whole corporate structure right now, is that if you're the CEO of ExxonMobil and you go down to Amazon and drink some ayahuasca and have a have a coming to God moment and you say, like, we can't do this anymore, the board will just fire you. Right. So you are... You, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders to make as much profit as possible. And you see a lot of companies lose their soul as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's tough, you know, it's like good people that get wrapped up in a system. You know, it's like, a, a you know, a lot of young teachers go into the public school system thinking that they're going to be able to change the system and some you know, you can change some kids' minds, but, a lot of times you just get jaded and, and mm-hmm. burnt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's it's great that you can uh, still have that that influence and that you and that like you guys do the Grom search. Yep. I mean, when I think about my um, teens growing up, if the Volcom contests weren't there, I, man, that that was when our community would come together. That's when we would we would all show up. We'd have a great day. We you know we'd get a bunch of gift packages, and it right. seems like you guys. Could, Volcom doesn't do the Toilet Crustaceous they, Tour anymore, which no is more. a tragedy. It, it's very sad. It's very sad. And, and yeah. maybe you might point out that might be due to, to selling out and going public. You know, who knows? Because they did have an entire division of Volcom dedicated to the Volcom Crustaceous Tour, and, and they fired all those guys. Yeah. Which some of my good friends. Troy Eckert and all those guys Dude, were... Uh, love those guys. Amazing, yeah. Good, and that was a huge part of our upbringing. We love that. Yep. So forever, the rest of my life, I'm going to be a, a fan of Volcom because of that. And oh, how 100%. Much good, how many good times they provided us. Yeah. So, yeah, so a major part of my job is running a five-event national series called the Grom Search, which is for surfers 16 and under. There's four divisions. We do two events in California, two on the East Coast, Florida, in North Carolina, and then one event in Hawaii. And uh, all summer long, I'm traveling to all these events. And it, it's just so fun connecting with these kids and putting on a great event and hiring a great staff. We have good judges. We always have great announcers. And it's just, for me, again, as a person who loves competition, loves surfing, just being able to give back to these kids in their hometowns and put on these great events. And then the top four from each division qualify for the national final. Then we put on a live webcast for the national final and you know build them up to be these little junior stars before they're hitting the next stage of their career and yeah it's a, it's a lot of time and effort put into it but it's something I really believe in it's something I have a ton of fun doing right which is so important also is you know I take pride I'm I'm in <laughs> I'm embarrassed by a lot of what the United States does uh, a lot of our foreign policies I think are just horrific but one aspect of this country that I take a lot of pride in is our athletes if I see someone who grew up, you know, in in Santa Cruz, in California, in the United States, and they're on the national level, I take pride in that. I think right. it's a really beautiful right. aspect of being human is is to celebrate athletes that are the best at what they do, and mm-hmm. it, it really can bring countries together in a in an amazing way. And if 
the country doesn't have that junior series to develop these athletes, I'm sorry, but there's just no shot. I mean, right. there's a reason why uh, Australia Australia is dominated it. dominates because they have such an amazing junior series. Exactly. You know, so I, I think that what you're doing, really grooming these younger guys who are going to be the superstars 10 years from now, is sets an important foundation for them. Yeah, and tons of the athletes we see on tour right now, well, again, Medina, uh, Griffin Colapinto, Jordy Smith, Matt Wilkinson, Mason Ho, these are all former Grom Search competitors. Sally Fitzgibbons, Nikki Van Dyke, Tyler Wright, all of, basically all of those surfers have all come through that series, which is pretty special to be a part of, and we're going to continue on for a long time to come. And as you're spe- I got a question for you as you're coming from this whole national thing. What do you think about surfing being in the Olympics in 2020? Oh, uh, I haven't thought a ton about it. So That's new. It is new, um, so I'll give you my initial thoughts, but know that it hasn't been, I haven't reflected on it really at all. I think that it's great when um, people who are non-surfers take the sport of surfing more seriously. Um, I think that you know, in the United States, we still have, um, although it's such a big industry and so much money has moved through the surf industry, culture doesn't take it as seriously as a place like Brazil, as you said, where mm-hmm. Gabriel's a legitimate superstar. Um, even in places like Portugal, I just had Nick Von Rupp on the podcast, and Great he was podcast. Ta- Thank I you, really enjoyed it. Thanks, um, I love Nick, and he, and he was talking about how uh, Portugal just in the last few years through um, Nazaré becoming more more popular like surfing is now taken seriously and the government realizes uh what an industry it is and as a result if you can get non-surfers to take the sport more seriously you can implement policies that protect the coast Mm. um i think that yeah look as surfers we are one of the few groups that cares about this tight seam between society and the wild we are one of the few mm-hmm. groups that are invested in the ocean truly it, it affects our day-to-day happiness because we don't want to get we're sick of being sick totally after it rains it no, sucks yeah we've all had ear infections and come down with with sicknesses after surfing you know, after the rains. After the rains. Um, so I think that the more that that we can get non-surfers to recognize that there is an economic value to surfing, that they can take pride in athletes who are surfers, um, the better that is. I still think, though, that um, you know, one of the the things that makes surfing really attractive is that there still is this uh, anti-establishment mm-hmm. factor to it. Totally. It's that, I mean, let's let's face it. When you are, what a pro surfer is, what surfing is, it is selling a carefree lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And people are so overworked, they're so stressed out, just seeing a rip curl ad of a perfect wave somewhere is really attractive. Right. They nice. want that, right? So I think that if, if you, so it's, it's, the two things that they're selling is is um, carefree lifestyle and anti-establishment. So I have a problem with um, surfing becoming so mainstream that athletes can't swear, they can't be honest, because mm, totally. then it just gets boring. Like right. when or, you or what about the overcrowding potential? Yeah, or overcrowding is happening. It is happening for sure. Um, I also th- think that that though is a. I think the solution to that is 
is etiquette is the is te- is educating right. new surfers. I mean, exactly. I when I was a kid, dude, I used to snap on people, I'd yell at them, I'd splash them, and I thought that that would work because that's what I was taught growing up. We grew up mm-hmm. right here in Santa Cruz, right. where you, you know you would get dunked as a kid, bunny ears, Grom, yeah. and you, you know you'd you'd see people snap. So I would do that. And I realized that doesn't do shit really. But the most success I've ever had with educating surfers who are beginning, who are in the way, who are dangerous to the lineup is by taking them aside and saying, hey, man, you're going to catch way more waves down there. And what you did was really dangerous. Okay. And I've had people who I've done that to, and they're like, hey, man, thanks. Hey, by the way, I listened to your podcast. Oh, I'm funny. like, fuck, dude. Yeah. I, oh, like, I felt like <laughs> such a shithead if I yeah. would have yelled at them. Hey, and you've had those issues over the years. Right. When you're first starting to come into your little fame with little skirmishes you may have had at the hook and right now. The, yeah, you know, I just don't want to be that person. No, so I think no. that the solution is not to tell people, you know, you can't surf because at the end of the day, it it's, it's is, a free sport. It's a free sport. It's, a it's free the ocean. ocean and the more people that we get uh, invested in, in not just the sport, but in the culture of, of conservation, of, of protecting our beaches, our our ocean, um, keeping it clean, and having respect for one another. That's the that's the place that I want to live in. And you know, look, there are some spots that are sensitive that always will be sensitive. And I have full respect when I travel to to a, I've you know traveled all over the world, and there are some places where you can tell it's like, oh, this spot's just for the locals, and I respect that. Totally. I think that there are are certain spots that should stay that way. But you know what? There are plenty of surf spots where there are enough waves for everyone and that's cool too. So I, I, it's, you know, show me the man who's going to stop that tide and, and I'll shake their hand. And with, with the, the surf pool revolution, that's a whole nother subject, but, uh, which kind of ties into the Olympics. Cause like, what do you want to see? Do you want to see them in Japan in 2020, which has been decided it's going to be at, at a a beach break there, one of their actual waves. But do you want to see them at, at an actual wave or do you want to see them in a wave pool where they can fit all the standards of fitting that, you know, that big TV slot time. Cause who knows if on that day when surfing is scheduled to be a part of the Olympics, if, if the waves are going to be on. So that's definitely a trick and something they're gonna have to sort out. It's kind of, you know, the first time it's a guinea pig year for right. the Olympics and surfing, but, uh, we'll see how things unfold. I was yeah. at the surf ranch event and What'd you, you think? know, I, I was torn. Honestly, uh, I absolutely loved, uh, I, I had a great time there. Um, it does get a bit repetitive, but when you think about the other sports like snowboarding half pipe, you get used to it and it, it is a repetitive sport. Think about it. Sean White has dropped into that same damn half pipe thousands of times and you've watched it a thousand times and I get excited every damn time he drops in. So maybe eventually in surfing, like people will see it that same way. The difference between Sean White in the super pipe and Philippe Toledo on the wave pool is that Sean White is going so much higher. Mm-hmm. There's so much more diversity in the tricks that he's doing. And there's the danger element. You right, see one of those right. guys case on the top right. and you're like, Ooh, that was not good. And yeah. so it keeps you attracted to it. Right. Whereas in the wave pool, I, I see think it would be amazing to surf it, but I got bored after 15 minutes because even the best guys are only doing air reverses and 
alley oops. Right. Like there's not that much more. Totally. By to the third do. day, it got a little more exciting. It was like Kyle Chairman, you need an eight point six to win. Right. So that's when it did get exciting. But for the first two days, when it was qualifying rounds, it did get pretty damn repetitive. Obviously, I was in the mix of it. I had lots of athletes in it. I was covering social media globally for Rip Curl while I was there. So I was super into it. But I could see how the public would not be super tight in, especially after multiple days of the same stuff over and over again. Right. So it's, it's, it's you know, that we're learning. Yeah. I also think that there's something to asking the bigger question of you know, why do we need to get bigger? I think that this is one of the bases. You mean the sport. The sport. Yeah. Yeah. Why does surfing need to get bigger? This is, I think, a basis of a lot of humanity's ills is is that we need to grow no matter what. And well, obviously we, the companies want more money. The companies want is, more and, money. And the World Surf League wants more money. Right. We want to take up more market share. But that mindset of infinite growth on a finite planet is the basis for a lot of our problems. Right. What is enough? That's a that's a big question, mm-hmm. right? And that can go all the way back to how big of a house is enough? How much money do you want to make? How much money do you want to make? What is enough for you? Because as soon if you don't pick that number, I put a cap on it. Pick a, yeah, I mean Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot. He says before you set out on your your goal and you know your career, pick a number because if you don't, by the time you get to that number, you're going to still think that it's never enough. Right. Right. And, and I, we don't think that we're enough. We as people, like this is a, a huge issue. It's like I, I still have this insecurity. It's like, oh, I need to get there. I need to get there. And it's just like, fucking hey. You, just, you, you, you look back when you're old and you're going to think, wow, I was way better looking than I thought I was. And I was actually <laughs> doing my best. I was we're fucking I, killing it, Kyle. We're, we're doing great. Come on, we're killing it. We're doing great. And I, I wish that more people had that, um, just, were, just had that okayness. And I wish that more companies had that okayness with seeing who they are and not trying to get bigger at all costs and go public um, and externalize the real costs. I think that that's the, the, you know, if it was growth at no cost to society, that Mm -hmm. would be fine. And I think that surfing is a relatively benign industry and even has some good because we're showing people that uh, it's good to be carefree and you should spend more time at the beach. It's not like a pharmaceuticals company or an oil extraction company that is making a profit at the cost of society, right? It's, it's, it's not. Like, it's, yeah. it's not like you sell some board shorts and then you know the, the, it's resulting in an opioid epidemic, like a company like Purdue Pharma is exactly. has created, right? It's not like you're gonna make some board shorts and there's gonna be an oil spill out it's, in the ocean. It's, it's like our uh, our national sales manager Paul Harvey, who I absolutely adore, who walks through the office every damn day in the afternoon when everyone's all tight and tired and typing away at their computers. Goes, Everybody relax. It's going to be okay. We are selling board shorts. It's not rocket science. No one's going to die. It's going to be okay. And you sit there and you're like, oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you for reminding <laughs> yeah, us. Because yeah. I was really nervous about that email I haven't responded to in right. the last four weeks. <laughs> right. And Johnny's order hasn't gone out yet. And the parents are starting to text me too much. And oh, boy, I'm really right. paranoid right now. Yeah. We didn't hit our sales goal for the day. And we're like, wait a second. We work in a surf company. There's a wetsuit rack outside. I'm sitting next to a board rack. We have surf movies on the, in the lobby 
Come we on. are selling doing okay. a cloth that is covering up people's private parts so that they can go look sexy as hell, look <laughs> sexy and ride little swells that have come halfway across the ocean for fun, for fun, for fun. Matt Myers, dude, this was such a blast. Thank you so much. Um, and thanks for all that you do. It's, it's good shit. And we Thank should do this Kyle. more. Well, Kyle, I'm very proud of you. And it's been a blast to be on this journey. Uh, ever since the day when I coined uh, Surfing for Change, you've come a long damn way. Yes, you did. Matt Myers came up with the name Surfing for Change. And yes. You still owe me 10% for that. Still, yeah, that didn't make any money. So <laughs> we can carry it. We can carry it on to the next but level. To the next step, right? Yeah, no, that, and, and that's it. It's all what uh, we do things, and we have no idea what the next step is going to be but uh we just keep following what we enjoy doing and and we'll look around one day and say hey this is pretty cool anyway it's been a blast and i, I enjoy it and uh i'm a dear listener and it's going to be fun to see where you take it from here and, and i'm a fan and i'm here any f- time you need to make a call thanks Talk man you back boy at mr matt myers at mr. mr underscore matt, matt myers, myers on instagram everyone reach out and uh say hello just don't send me sponsorship requests <laughs> That's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song by Nate Maingard called Turns of Life. Nate listens to this podcast and he sent me some tunes. If you are a musician and you want your song played at the end of this show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send those groovy little voice memos that I love, love, love getting from you. Where are you in this moment right now? Pull out your phone and record 30 seconds to a minute of audio uh, using the voice memos app. Let me know who you are, where you're listening from, and email it to info at kyle.surf. Once again, thank you to everyone who rates this podcast on iTunes. I cannot tell you how important that is by just using the podcast app, whatever one you're on, give it a rating, say something nice. It takes a minute to do, and it helps boost the visibility of this show so other people can listen to it. So thank you to everyone who does that. If you want a great episode right now, I recommend going back to episode 60 with Cliff Capono. Here's a quick clip from that episode. Yeah, I didn't want to leave the Big Island. I didn't want to have to move to Oahu and have to kind of give up all my friends and give up, you know, everything that I was comfortable with. Like, that's home. And then having to move. And it wasn't like you move to Oahu and you you live on Oahu. It's you live on the top of this mountain and you can't leave. It's a gated kind of like it's kind of like real world Harry Potter's. Once again, that was episode 60 with Cliff Capono. I will link to that episode in the show notes below. Once again, it's my birthday today, so I'm going to get outside, walk around, um, and we got some badass podcasts coming for you in the months ahead. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, get outside, give someone a high five, jump in the water. Whatever body of water is closest to you, it will make your day better. Lots of love, and I'll see you soon. I know that when it comes to love, all rules are broken by the wise. They say love is blind, I say it sees so many things you cannot see using just your eyes. So surprised 
So give up all pretenses when it comes to love To save yourself from wasting your own time Then when love arrives you say If this is love and love is blind I don't need my eyes Eyes Your eyes are windows open to the sky Let in the love you need tonight Your eyes are windows I will sing outside And we'll dance the turns of life In the moonlight I'll build a boat We'll sail afar Follow the moon and all the stars Wild and I'm shaking like a child. I'll find comfort in your eyes. But if I were the ocean and you were ashore, I'd be lapping at your feet forevermore. I am a fool, it's true. Writing these lines, still I'm brave enough to look into your eyes. to the sky Let in the love you need tonight Your eyes are windows I will sing outside And we'll dance the turns of life